This episode of Burn the Haystack is brought to you by Guacamole. No, it's not a subscription service or a Uber type company. Guacamole, I'm just talking about avocado, smashed up with a spoon, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of salt and pepper, chucking some uh, coriander or cilantro, as you Americans like to call it, uh, a little bit of tomato, maybe even some shallots. And uh, you got yourself a beautiful accoutrement to put on top of a uh, plate of nachos, beautiful burrito, some quesadilla, and also a haystack. While I've got you though, I should also let you know that Burn the Haystack is also brought to you by the Burn the Haystack Facebook group. If you enjoy listening to these episodes, but you want to discuss it with like-minded people, then the Facebook group is for you. Head over to facebook.com and just search Burn the Haystack. Click on the group, ask to join using the special secret, super secret password, Poppy Gloria. If you can't spell it, that's okay. Just try. And if we see that you try, we'll let you in. It's all good, buddy. But for all your community needs for Burn the Haystack, head over to facebook.com and let's get into this episode. Goodbye. Good morning, Haystack Burners! This is Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about Minecraft. I mean, (laughs) uh, helping you save the best and burn your rest of your culture and faith practices. And uh, I've got to say, I don't know know if anybody else who's listening has been paying attention to PewDiePie's playthrough of Minecraft, but uh, Jesse told me I need to catch up on it because I've been a bit behind. It's amazing. It is it has, glorious. I haven't laughed this much and cried this. You know what I mean? Just like, it's oh, <laughs> just amazing. Like, there's what the, the one part where, I don't know. I, I'm not up to date yet. I'm still trying to okay, catch up. I won't spoil anything. I just literally finished watching the latest episode this morning. So, Oh, man, that is so cool. But I, I, I'm, I'm a while back. I guess this isn't spoilers, but the part where he's on the boat with, um, with Sven, his dog. <laughs> And then um, he's dragging the horse behind him. Um, what's the horse's name? Jürgen? Jürgen. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the boat crashes with the bubbles or whatever, and he loses Sven underwater, and then it's like a oh whole episode of him just trying to find goodness. Sven. Dude. I was surprised how emotionally I was attached to somebody else's dog in Minecraft. I was like, Sven! Save Sven! <laughs> you know, no joke, my wife, is she kind of rolls her eyes when I watch PewDiePie videos. Same. But even... Even she was like, they've got to find Sven. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. She she actually got invested for a brief moment into PewDiePie, which I thought was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I I would love to get Danelle invested, but she just, she's not. I don't think it's going to happen. No. Yeah. She's not there. I'm surprised because there's a lot of Japanese sort of like, you know, uh, culture that he loves to bring into it because he's a huge fan of Japan, just like Danelle. You'd think that, that would be kind of like a linking factor for them, you know, the love of yeah, Japan. Yeah, that's true, actually. I think she'd actually probably enjoy, um, you know what? It's a shame that Marzia, PewDiePie's mm. girlfriend, has finished her channel because I actually think Danelle would have enjoyed that channel. But anyway. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I think well. it's I think it's a really interesting sort of um, commentary because 
every time PewDiePie has kind of gotten a little bit stale in his content, he has completely reinvented himself in over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the big factors why his channel has endured, you know, the yeah. the PewDiePie of, you know, teenagerhood of many of us who grew up when we were, you know, kids and teenagers watching him to yeah. the PewDiePie now when he's like, I think he's like 28, 29 now, you know, and mm. we're all kind of getting there as well. We're all kind of almost in our 30s and he's still going and he's still the biggest... He's still the single biggest YouTuber in the world and I am not... I will not speak the name of the other channel. <laughs> they are not worthy of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. they, who, they, they who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's something special to being able to reinvent yourself, which is probably something we could speak about with, with the church, like how we haven't mm. reinvented our, um, our messages and stuff in a way that's relevant to society. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, I heard I heard a great. It was Kerry Newhoff, I think. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you, Josh. I probably have, but he said in leadership because he's in this world where you like, if you're the senior pastor of like a mega church or an evangelical church, you have the prospect of leading that church for like decades. And when you're leading a company or a church or an organization for decades, not just a few years, like many of us in our context are. Uh, there's a real good possibility of getting stale and just kind of doing the same old, same old. And he says that in that situation, you need to reinvent yourself at least every 10 years. Wow. Otherwise, you run the risk of, oh yeah, getting stale, stagnating. Um, and we're either moving forward or we're moving backward. There's no such thing as a plateau. A plateau always usually means we're going backwards. Wow. That's so interesting. Mm. You just see Kerry Newhoff get up on stage one day. All right, we're now a church all about Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay Get with ready, that. everyone. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, cool. Just gets up on stage. Good morning, gamers. <laughs> that would be the best. Oh, it's so cool. It's It'd so be cool. a shame for somebody watching this in like, or listening to this in two, three years and then not knowing what we're talking about because PewDiePie has reinvented himself again. They're like, wait, PewDiePie was mm. playing Minecraft? <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But I think that's, that just shows that's a testament to what you have to do to stay relevant and to, you know, stay engaged with culture because, you know, Minecraft is going through a renaissance right now. That Like everybody on Reddit is like, woohoo, Minecraft is now back on top. Whereas it's like Fortnite was for so long this thing that everybody loved to hate, but it was still number one. And now Minecraft is back and everybody's loving it. I, I repurchased Minecraft the other day. I, I was just looking at it on my Nintendo Switch last night. I was like, oh, maybe I should get Minecraft. <laughs> Bro, like, you won't regret it, man. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, maybe if it goes on sale. I don't think they mm. will put it on sale anytime no. soon though, while they're top dog. Minecraft, I don't think has ever been on sale. I'm pretty sure. It's just always really? that. Yeah, yeah. I, ever since I've seen it, it, I've never seen it on sale. It's always been... I don't know what it was. I think I bought it for 20, 30 bucks in Australia mm. uh, a couple years ago, like 2011, 2012. But then I lost my account. And so I had to repurchase oh. it here in New Zealand. And when I look online, everybody's like, no, nah, it's always going to be the same price. Really? So. I'm sure I've seen it on sale on the Switch. It's like forty bucks on the Switch. Yeah. Like oh, it's forty bucks. It's forty bucks here on PC as well. So. Dang. Yeah. It's it's no it's no more expensive on Switch, which is good. 
because that's not often the case. <laughs> yeah, no, normally you get the what we call the Switch tax, where they make yeah. games expensive on the Switch for literally yeah. no reason. <laughs> There's actually no reason it should be more expensive, just other than the fact that they can and they'll people will buy it anyway. SMH. S S M H. You know what we should do, Jesse? And this is totally not even meant to be talked. You're not meant to talk about things you should do on a podcast, mm, but yes. um, we should do a Minecraft playthrough. Us two together. <gasps> oh my gosh, that would be so deck. cool! All right, so if you, if you guys want to see us do a Minecraft playthrough on YouTube, it would have to be on YouTube. We would, yeah, there would be a lot of stuff that we'd have to do. If you guys want to see us do that, hit us up. Let us know. All right. Yeah, because we have no idea how to do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Jesse, I'm sure Jesse will know how. I have no I have, idea how to do that. I have some general ideas, but I've never, I've never done it before. Or even so. Jesse plays and I watch him play. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I reckon, I reckon Minecraft would probably run pretty well on your MacBook. Ah. Probably. I used to run it on my 2011 MacBook Pro, which was just garbage. And that's, what, that's where I first started playing it because I didn't, I didn't get a PC until I left college. There you go. Huh. Okay. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'd rather get it. I don't know if... Yeah, well, okay. Well, you know what? We'll work it out. But yeah, let us know. Let us yeah. know your thoughts, everyone. We're saying yeah. this at the beginning of the episode, which is where everybody listens and tunes in and answers our questions. So let us know All if right. you want to see that. And if you don't want to <laughs> see it, please let us know so we don't do it. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll do it because one person said yes, whereas 99 <laughs> other people said no, but they didn't say anything. Anyway. I think uh, it could be fun. I could, uh, anyway, let's, let's, um, let's switch gears then, shall we? And talk about our guest today because I'm excited. Um, I'm excited because today we get to talk to Kira Bullock. Um, Kira Bullock! <laughs> Wow, yeah, it could be. I mean, Bullock is quite—it's quite a strong surname, so I could see that as a, as an MMA fighter or something like that. <laughs> as an MMA fighter, <gasps> Bullock has entered the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Smash Bros. I don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so for those of you who are um, Burn the Haystack veterans, you guys will remember one of our first guest interviews. Um, Episode way, way eleven. Back. That's how Man. far back it is. Episode eleven. It it's yeah. Anyway, it was cool. We talked about creativity, we talked about worship and music. It was great. And I think it really it gave us a good foundation for some of the future episodes that we did on worship. And we've done a little we've got we've done a few episodes on worship and music and a lot of those issues surrounding it. So that was really cool. But we talked today about something completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we talked about singleness because uh, Kira's uh, single. She's She's been in relationships before, but we had a really great conversation with her, which we won't spoil. We talked about it in the episode. Um, but we, yeah, we've just kind of been journeying with Kira for the last, I guess, 12 months or so, you know, and whenever we see her at conferences and gatherings and stuff like that, uh, we we inevitably, this, this topic comes up quite a lot and... I think one of the big reasons, as we talk about in the episode, is because it's just it it's just one of those things that isn't talked about properly in the mm. in the context of the church, which is why we thought this would be a great um, thing to talk about, bring uh, some light to from somebody who's not married, because inevitably, um, singleness is only really ever mentioned as a season. Like when you're you know looking to get married, uh, you'll be single for a while. Just hang on there, bucko, and then you'll get married. You <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, but it, Kira's experience is completely different to that. And I think that's one of the 
great reasons why this was such a an excellent conversation. Mm. Yeah, it was super insightful, really helpful to me, helps me correct a lot of my dialogue, um, the way I think about things, um, you know, just the things that you pick up just so subconsciously and now I can be conscious of them and it, I hope, hopefully it'll help, you know, at mm. least I know what well, I know it's going to help me at least in the way I connect to different people. And yeah, so I'm sure all of you will really enjoy this conversation. Um, so let's just get right out of the way and let's just jump into it. All right, Kira, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It is so good to have you back. For those of you who don't know, Kira was one of our very early guests in the show and um, she blew all of our minds back then and probably one of the most requested guests to return back to the show. So, Mm. yeah. Seriously? That's correct. Yeah, people loved it. (laughs) Oh, Uh, yay. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. It It was an awesome episode, so... Um, yeah, so thank you so much for making the time to return to Burn the Haystack. We're so grateful to have uh, you. No, it, it's my pleasure. I like just chewing the fat with you guys. <laughs> chewing the fat, oh yeah. Chewing the fat. <laughs> <laughs> How is that colloquialism? Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a bunch of Aussies just hanging out, you know, having a good right. time. <laughs> yes. Chewing the fat. Yeah. Oh dear. If we begin this way, where are we going to end? Come on. Who knows? (laughs) That's the beauty of a podcast, right? But um, yeah. But I guess today, what's really exciting is that we're actually talking about a really different topic to last time we had you on. Because the last time we talked about creativity and potential, um, and yeah, it was so cool. And so, but this time we're shifting gears a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, we're shifting gears a lot, actually, aren't we? Yeah, okay. Just a lot. We are, we are shifting gears a lot. Um, but I think it's going to be a really something, that, I don't know, something that I think will be very helpful to a lot of people. Um, probably people will not even realize how helpful this would be until we start talking about it. I don't know. That's how I see it. <laughs> mm, it's a mystery. <laughs> Yeah, you're like teasing us so much Josh just say what are we talking about today bro I am a hype building machine and that's what I am so I am building this that hype until I feel extra hyped I'm already hyped but I need to feel triple hyped I need everybody listening to feel okay I'll stop we are talking about singleness um, and yes so the singleness in the church and I guess outside of the church it's sort of like a cultural thing um, that I guess a lot of people overlook and um, they try and skip over it. And I guess that's why we want to talk about it. And this all sort of came up because last year, back in 20, what, 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 back in 2018, um, Jesse and I were MCs. I don't know whose idea it was to put us as MCs, but they made us um, <laughs> MCs at a big camp event. It was um, a big mistake. It was. It was. It was, a big mistake. <laughs> it was for uh, the young adult tent in in North New Zealand. Anyway, so we were planning icebreakers. We ha- we had a great time, at least. I don't know about everyone else, but we had fun. Um, <laughs> you guys were great. I thought it was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we got in trouble for going overtime a lot, but yeah. Anyway, that's. What are you gonna do? Two pastors? Come on. I know. Yeah. And then we started a podcast. So if that doesn't prove that we're great at talking about things for hours on end, I don't know what does. But um. <laughs> but anyway, so part about we had all these ideas for icebreakers some were great some didn't go as well but there was one idea and we pitched it to sort of this team of people um before we did it it's still a funny idea but i'm very glad kira spoke up (laughs) because i was like actually you know what now that she says this i can see why it's not a good idea in this setting but basically what we were going to do is 
We were going. We have. We we're going to get heaps and heaps and heaps of Pringles, um, as in the chip that you can. I'm pretty sure you can buy in almost every part of the world. Um, we we're going to buy these Pringles, and then we we're going to get everybody in the tent who was single to put up their hand, and then we we're going to give them a Pringle, and then tell the everybody that everybody with a Pringle is single and ready to mingle. That was. That was the that was the idea, and now even that I'm saying it out loud, this far removed from the event, it really does sound like a bad idea. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> I then, think I think we got so caught up with the rhyming that we forgot about common sense. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and then Kira was just like, "Hey, actually, guys, can we just like think this through together a little bit?" And I'm so grateful for as as an actual single person, maybe you haven't thought this through. And so we had a bit of a conversation with Kira, and that kind of launched into a bigger conversation that's been somewhat ongoing, and that you've been thinking through well a lot more than than we have, Kira. So would you like to tell us a little bit about sort of where this all started? and why you've been thinking about this for the amount of time that you have been. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where to, I don't know where it started because um, as somebody that's single and never been married, it seems like it's constantly just been the experience of my life um, to be, to be single. I mean, I've been in and out of relationships a few times, but it's a, um, and it's an ongoing journey because, it changes over time. Um, but I guess it all really started for me in terms of being willing to communicate or articulate or research or sort of get my head into it and have something to contribute to the conversation um, was, and not be a, in a defensive way, you know, like to be in a, in a really just an open and helpful way to be able to have the conversation. I, I went back to uni myself and did a postgraduate degree in counselling at Auckland University. And one of our papers was analysis of a cultural topic in counselling. And I actually decided to do singleness as my analysis, um, single coupled and the space between is what I called the paper. And I, I sort of went on a bit of a journey learning how to give voice to and wrap words around my experience, but also what's the literature out there? What are people saying? Um, what are the cultural norms? What are the feminists saying about it? What are the, you mm. know? So I just kind of went on a quest to go, I want to start to speak about this and I want, I want good words mm. Um, mm. To, to give voice to this in terms of people's experience. And then recognising that the church then is is a very powerful and potent subculture um, when it comes to this topic because more so than in secular society, there is this pressure to, for lack of a better term, to, to date and mate, you know, to, to be mm. coupled. <laughs> yeah. Like that's some kind of rite of passage and it can sometimes even happen earlier in a church context because of the pressure around, you know, building families and, and maybe not doing certain things before you're married. Um, so, <laughs> so it seems to happen earlier and people move faster into that space of commitment yeah. and marriage. Um, so it's like a pressure cooker for the single person who's also wanting to ultimately end up married. Mm. And I um, suppose it's, it's even more difficult when you go to like an Adventist high school you go to an Adventist university or a college. I remember being um, like the the single guy in my friend group and just feeling like a complete loser because, well, I'm single. There must be something wrong with me. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. And that, you know, we'll get to that, but that's one of the, identi um, the identity 
um, there's a proper probably academic name for it that I did know, but I've forgotten. Interpretive repertoire um, is what they would call it, is when I'm single, I must be a loser. That means you see your singleness as a deficit identity. Um, and it's not always viewed that way. There's several ways, there's several interpretive repertoires in which you could view singleness, but that was your experience with it. Yeah. Hmm. Wait, what was just, it? you see your singleness as a deficit? Deficit. What? deficit identity right um, so like a, uh, yeah. a problem part it's a of problem Frida. yeah right. singleness is a personal deficit like it's a strong negative cultural undertone um about mm. the notion that you would have this inability to to find a partner or be in a relationship mm. so it's basically you're focusing on who i'm not rather than who i am Ooh, I'm, true. I'm not married i'm i'm not coupled yeah mm. yeah so i guess like it almost seems like the church promotes this idea that being single is a problem that needs to be solved. Right. It's, 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 it's somewhere where you are when you're on your way to somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Cause like whenever you have like a relationship seminar or like a marriage seminar, singleness is always mentioned, but it's always like a footnote in the, well, yeah. of course you're going to be single for a while. And you know, while you're That's single, right. you should be happy about being single and it, you should, you should not have sex definitely, but then you should yeah. also ultimately date and get married. And that's, that's the goal. Yeah. And it's just your single season. So enjoy your single season. Like it's some, yeah. there's some in, 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 inevitable, but there, there are so many ways and we can get into as many ways as you like, but there are so many ways that problematic theology impacts this. Um, the idea that singleness is a season that you will get out of and you'll get out of it because there's this ultimate plan for you to meet this ultimate person who's this one that's been picked out for you that like I can, in that sentence alone, I can point out three pretty deep theological issues that have just subliminally been handed down that, oh, mm. look, I can't, I can no longer subscribe to. I just don't believe that that's the way it is and not because of my not because of my experience with singleness, but because of my experience with the gospel and the mm. word of God, you know? So it's, yeah, it's this idea that you'll pass through this in order to get somewhere else and some will get there quicker than others. Mm. Okay. Can you break that down for us theologically? Cause you said you, you could point out three theological problems. Can you just go through that just so people are crystal clear as to why this is such an issue? Mm. And people okay, love lists. Well, um, <laughs> Sorry, okay, sure. I mean, I you know what? I should have really thought about that and made a list. So, what about like this? Like, the idea of predestination, the idea that you've got one yeah. out that's your perfect person. Um, mm-hmm. There yep. is the there one. is absolutely no theological grounds to support that idea. Mm. There mm. there are there are thousands of people that you're compatible with. You chose mm. one. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you two were married. You met somebody. You were drawn to them. It doesn't mean that that would be the only person that you would ever meet and be drawn to or could have been compatible with or could have been married to. Mm. That's that's why commitment is so powerful because you just mm. decided and you chose this one. Mm. But they're not the one and only. They're not the only person you could have fallen in love with. And they're Absolutely. not necessarily, they're not necessarily, and I might be treading on toes when I say this, handpicked <laughs> by God for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you met and, and it worked and it was lovely. And in the presence of God, in a sacred space, you developed a relationship and made a commitment to each other. And then in the presence of God, you said yes. Mm. Yeah, I think like for me, even when I've, when I've thought about that before, like, I mean, when I, when I got married to Danelle, I mean, honestly, it's, it felt very much like God had put us together. And I still, you know, I still believe he of does. Like, he does bless feels. it. 
Yeah, and I, I still believe he blesses it, and and you know, like he and that sort of thing. Like he almost like anoints a relationship to continue. If it, you know, when you're honoring him, he like continues to prosper it in a way. I don't know, but um, and it's recognizing a gift that comes into your life, which is yeah. from God. Like she is a gift from God in your life, but she's not necessarily Absolutely. the only gift that was dumped in your lap to marry. You know what I yeah. mean? It's a, yeah. it's yeah. And of course it should feel like she's your one and only, and she's your gift from God, but that's a feeling. That's not necessarily a mm. predetermined theological, under, you know, reading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Certainty. cause I can still, yeah. Like I still very much felt like I, I chose Danelle and she chose me. And I think that's mm. love. Like that's the kind of love we talk about when we talk about God is he gives us freedom of choice so we can choose to love him. And so if he's oh. then like, I don't know, forcing us to, like there's one person and you have to find them and you have to love them. It's not really, it doesn't feel like a free choice then. So, you know, now that you put this together, it kind of actually does make sense that love always has to be a choice. Mm. So It always has to yeah. be a choice. And the fact that she feels like she was made for you or that she was, she's the, you know, God chose her for you. That, that comes, did you notice the word that came before you said that? She, I feel like she, I feel like she. Mm. And and that's the power and the potency. That's the potency of feelings. Mm. And and that's how you should feel about her. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't have married her. You know, <laughs> it's. Um, but that's a that's a feeling that you have about her, and that's a way that you kind of turn that back and offer that as worship to God. I feel like God did this for me. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but if you were to really unpack your theology around that, I'm not sure you would you would you would say I'm certain that. Mm. Yeah, because I think I think this is not something that's just uh, unique to Christianity. I think this is something that the Western world has kind of bought into on mass. You know, because I think whilst there isn't much the or any theological support, I think there is a lot of if you're going from the commentary of '90s romantic comedies, that's definitely <laughs> the message mm. that you would take home that you complete me, you know, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Like that's, mm. if you're taking that from that, from the commentary of, you know, those types of movies and, mm. and books, that's definitely the message that we all kind of grew up with. We're looking yeah. for that one, you know? Yeah. And to me now, I kind of look back hindsight and go, that's such damaging thought yeah. process, you know, like yeah. part of me goes, and the feminist in me goes, mm, excuse me, nobody gets to complete you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Renee Zellwinger with Tom Hanks, like, come on. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, like I have, I, I sort of have it in front of me, actually. I could read it to you. There's, I have a little yeah. paragraph that I wrote in a, something that I wrote that's called Diaries of a Single Woman that is, I don't know, I'll probably add to it at some point. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll get brave and send it off to a publisher. But there's this, mm. there's this, um, there's this paragraph around this idea of you were made for me and you're my only, you know, you're my one and only. And mm. I write it like this, you were made for each other, in inverted commas. Aside from my obvious issue with the theology of this statement and my hesitancy to accept that any one of us was made for any one other human being on the planet, I do understand the sentiment. People get to feel as though they were made for someone else. People get to feel as though this person is the one and only one and they really won big time when they found them. Feelings aside, fundamental premise issues with where this statement begins aside, the echo chamber of the single person shouts, you clearly weren't made for anyone. Otherwise, your life would be following the same script of being in the early 20-something and you would be making the same romantic statements about the person you feel compliments you and was always yours to find. The implication is, is that you can be whole now 
Well, I've long rejected that sentiment, that belief and that starting point. But the message in my head clearly has some study to do because it seems to buy in to the other point of view sometimes and proceeds to taunt me with it. Maybe it gets my attention, not because I believe it, but because there are people in the room with me who clearly do believe it. So if they do, what must they think of my 50% existence, my half-person reality, my we don't really quite understand how this happens for some persons and not others plight? Wow. So that, that, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the paragraph in response to statements like that when I've been in a room where they've been made. Hmm. What must everybody think of me because I'm only half a person? Wow. Yeah. Which and is so this is not... where... Oh, yeah, keep you going, go. keep going. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what your response was going to be. I can come back to the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, <laughs> it's so not what you, what you think about when you... Like, I mean, I would never think of, uh, like, a single person as half a person, but I can totally see how a statement like that implies it in a way. Like, you know what I mean? That's so... It's kind of scary to even think about it like that. Yeah. But I guess that is that and is what can be conveyed. Yeah. Right. And this is where, like, this is where I think we have to become um, a little bit more educated and a little bit more empathetic in our discourse, Mm. the way that we talk about certain things. And this is what I think I kind of pulled you up on when it came to the Pringles single ready to mingle. Um, Is we can do better than this with our discourse and the way that we talk about this. Because the question is, and this is, a, this is a question back to myself, guys. How many times have I had the microphone in a room and I have not made space for certain parts mm. of the demographic in that room? Mm. Like just yeah, simply well. by me having the microphone and not and saying things that just don't include them, that just don't make them feel like they're welcome to be there. And so it's kind of like, well, if we can adjust our discourse, if we can just talk about it a little bit differently, then I'm going to feel like I can be in the room as well and not feel like I'm deficit. But I think that's human nature to, to a large degree, you know, because I've, I've known so many um, fundamentalist Christian parents, you know, who they raise their children the way that everybody else raises them and then, they send them off to college or they send them off to a job and then, you know, partway down the track, a child comes out as being gay or transgender or whatever. And whereas mm-hmm. the discourse that they once used was just like everybody else in their fundamentalist Christian background, suddenly their language changes because suddenly it affects them and affects the children that they know and the people that they love. And it, it's almost like if it wasn't for their child, they would just go on talking about it the way that everybody else talks about it because, well, it doesn't affect me, so why would I care? Yeah, and that's why it's so important that when it comes into your experience and into your world and it does affect you, which means it does cause you to adjust the way you speak about things and think about things, that's why it's important that I find my voice on this Mm. because Mm. the discourse will never change without those parents going, hang on, we have to adjust the way we speak about this or the single people going, hang on, did you realize that that was going to eliminate a whole half of the people in the room and make them feel like, you know, more insecure mm. than they might already feel. And it's, it's why it's important that we're, especially as Christians, always in a posture of growth and transformation and learning and not feeling like we have the monopoly on all of this mm. because we could get better at discourse every single day that we choose to get better at it. 
Hmm. Our only limits to that are ourselves. Wow. I got better at discourse in talking about um, in talking about people that are same-sex attracted by being friends with people who are same-sex attracted and asking them about their experience in the world. Yeah. I got better at not labeling that. I got better at not talking about it as though I'm an authority on it. Once I sat down and had open conversations with people whose experience it is. Yeah. No, I, I had the same experience. I remember at Avondale, I was uh, housemates with somebody who was gay and um, it was the first time that I'd have close, you know, everyday contact with uh, somebody who was same-sex attracted. Um, and <laughs> it was so funny. I remember, I remember telling my dad... Um, about my housemates and I mentioned that he was he was gay and dad was like oh mate just be careful you know you never know you don't want to send off too many vibes you know you don't want him to get the wrong <laughs> oh idea and I'm like dad <laughs> come on <laughs> just because he's gay doesn't mean he's attracted to me dad you know like yeah, yeah. exactly right yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean I, I I don't I don't hold it against my dad he's never really had he's never really had those people in his life um mm. but it took being a housemate with somebody um, with a different orientation to me to actually slowly change my mind. It wasn't reading the. It wasn't through reading the Bible or hanging out with church people or ha mm. having a better theological understanding of uh, orientation as a theology. It was. It was contact with 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 a person and a friendship. Mm. Um, because it's that that makes you review all of the rest of it. You know, you don't dive into the theology of it or the philosophy of it until you've had an experience with it. Yeah. And and then you're like, mm, okay, why is my response like this? And what do I really think of this? And what is my framing for that? And and I love this person. So how can I? You know what I mean? It's, it's by asking those questions that you start to dive into those things in the first place. It's only by having that conversation with me at Big Camp that you guys went, oh, let's talk more about that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's that interaction that sparks the conversation and that's the way it should be. And, and it means that for anybody that is having that experience, I mean, there is a little bit of responsibility on us to then be willing to teach people how to treat us without yeah. it feeling super insane. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my sisters and my mum, right? I'm like, okay, you need to know that I'm okay as the person that I am, I'm fully and wholly me. I'm not a half person, you know, I'm not waiting for, you know, like this, this mystical idea of you, you, we've talked about that. So I said, but here's the thing that exists, me being fully okay with me at the same time as my longing for something else, as my longing to meet somebody that I can say yes to and to have a family that all exists in the same place. We can talk about that without feeling sorry for me, like I'm some kind of problem to solve on my way to something else. We can talk about it even as though it may never happen and have a healthy conversation about it. So let's talk about it as something that Kira wants without feeling sorry for Kira. Mm -hmm. True. And and they they were kind of like, okay, how would you, you know, how would you like us to talk about so that conversation, if I'm willing to have it, is helpful for the people that love me well. Mm. Mm. right yeah i think it, it's probably really challenging for people to to like yeah share share an appropriate way to tr 
to treat you. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, like sharing, how can the discourse get better? Um, yeah. 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 It can probably put like make people feel a bit uncomfortable, but you're so right. It is something that we actually need to challenge ourselves to be okay with, to be okay with hearing it and also giving it. And look, when I, when it comes to personal conversations like that, let's borrow from Brene Brown and say you share your story with the people that have earned the right to hear it. You share your vulnerability with people that have earned the right to hear it. You know, so no. I'm not walking around saying to people, "Let me tell you how to treat me. Let me yeah. tell you how to talk about it." You know, that, you know, it's it's certainly not about that. And anytime you get the microphone in your hand or you're sitting on a podcast, you, you handle that so carefully because there's always vulnerability attached to all of that. But mainly just to kind of say that. If we're going to do any better at the discourse, let's be examples of how the better looks. Mm. You know, like the Richard Raw quote that says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Oh, wow. That's so I, Richard Raw, and I love it. I, 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 I just love that you brought out Richard Raw, and uh, if I could have a Richard Raw in every uh, a quote from him in every podcast, I would be a happy man. <laughs> I want him to be my grandfather. Like, oh. <laughs> no, me I first. That. I want him to be my grandfather. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Richard, I love him. Um, but that's true of even this. That's true of yeah. even how we do relationships. Like, if we want to talk about it, let's just do better at it. Like, mm. we can do better at it. But I think this, I think, I think the other aspect to what you're saying though is is symptomatic of the uh, world that we live in right now because I think there's a lot of pressure on people, especially people in positions of power, to have an opinion on everything, to weigh in on where do we stand on this, where do we stand on that, what's our opinion, what's our stance on this, that, and the other thing, and I just think it's mm-hmm. so dangerous to, it's, like, if you're like we are pretty lucky, you know, whilst we have a podcast that goes out to a few hundred people or a few thousand people, I suppose, every month or whatever, it we're still not at that point where we're like, if Jesse or Josh say one thing in their podcast, man, they could get slammed for it because, you know, it's that, that level that we slam people on Twitter and on social media when they come out and say this, that or the other, especially when it's political. It just seems like the world we're living in is where... If there's an issue, especially a controversial one, you have to have an opinion. You have to have a stance, and and if it's if you don't, it's like what's wrong with you? Do you mm. do you know what I mean? Mm. And this is the this is the um, and what we would call that, you know, in my analysis, is we'd call that binary thinking. Yeah. Like it's 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 this or it's this. You know, like it's being single kind of carries with it a plethora of cultural considerations, you know, like it's, it's, it's referred to as a status, which is really rigid and misunderstood and predetermined Um, there. But in reality, you know, we all have to fill out forms and there are boxes to tick, you know, and one of them in the drop down menu is whether you're single or not, you know, like it's a, it's, it's attached to our identity um, in a complex reality of of which status somebody chooses when they're presented with options and those options are really limited, you know? And so there's this definition of um, a working definition in spite of the degrees and the varieties of partnerships and sexual orientations that exist. It is still not uncommon for singleness and marriage to be seen as binary alternatives. To be single is to not be married. Mm. Right. You know, and that, and that actually is really super subjective. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just before we were we started, you mentioned that there are sort of dif- different 
definitions of singleness as well. Like it's not it's not it's not the opposite of marriage, but there's actually also multiple definitions of of singleness. Um, yeah, and, and multiple experiences. I think experiences oh, of singleness yeah, would, would be super super categorized by this because you've got you've got single and never married. You've got single and divorced. You've got single and widowed. You've got single and don't want to be married. You've got single and do want to be married. You've got single people in their twenties. That's a mm. very different experience to single people in their thirties, which is different again to forties, fifties, and then name a decade. You know, it's yeah. it's so so different for each of those experiences and different depending on what you want mm. um and there's massive assumptions that come into that like i have to say experience i was at i was at b camp um in my home conference back in australia a few years ago and um this person that i grew up with in the conference when we were teens and youth and you know just growing up like bounds up to me then and that's the right adjective like that's what she did she kind of like that's that's the right you know action word she just like they kind of had a little hop in her skip and she's coming up and she gives me this really big hug and she's like hi how are you and I'm like really really good and and I've I've always found this person to be a little bit intense and then she goes oh so you know are you well and I'm like yeah and she goes and are you married and I'm like and I'm like no and she went, oh, that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> condescending. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know it is. <laughs> and she's like, oh. And then she had no idea what else to say. Like absolutely no idea what else to oh say. And I'm like, this, are, you, are you well? Are you married? And how could you possibly be well if you weren't married? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's this... And then, and then another experience I had, I was at home, my homecoming, my 10 year homecoming, which was a while ago now, which is showing my age at Avondale college. And I ran into, um, a former colleague from a school that we, you know, we both taught at and it was, you know, he was a decade ahead of me and he was at his homecoming as well. Um, and had, he, he'd been single well into his forties and now he's happily married with three kids and, and whatever. And he looked at me, he's like, Hey, it's really good to see you. And then he really looked pointedly at my left ring finger. And, um, and then he looked up at me and kind of raised his eyebrows. Um, and honestly, like to me, those eyebrows just like morphed into a like big unmistakable shape of a question mark like, in this court. And, <laughs> wow. um, and, and I honestly, by now I'm, I'm kind of well accustomed to those questions. Um, whether they're sheepish and subtle or like brazen, like this girl, you know, I was talking about and, wow. and I've kind of figured out how to respond. And so I leaned in and like, with like a confident voice and a little bit of a whisper, I said, it's an interesting story. Do you want to hear it? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, sure. And he took like a deliberate step toward me. And I thought, I think what he thought was about to be a really like vulnerable disclosure of the story behind like whatever my status is. And um, I replied, you know, I've just never really met anyone I want to marry. <laughs> and, his, <laughs> and his eyebrows were like, huh? And he's like, well, that's okay. And I said, yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah. Like I know it is, you know, like it's, and it's, but the thing is, and this is the interesting thing about discourse and inconsistency is that nobody would presume to go up to a married person and say, so you're married, you know, <laughs> or um, so when did, when did you get married? And ask something that was such a leading vulnerable question. When did you get married? Sure. But like a leading vulnerable question about your identity. 
it's never presumed to, to please impart those details. Please, you know, like now there's something wrong and you're passing through a marriage stage and you have to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So these are the questions that are confronted um, by single people all of the time as though it's public property to ask that question, like it's a matter of concern and interest and that it's okay, it's just a free-for-all to find out whether or not you're married or not. Right, yeah. Yeah, because I guess, I mean, the, the questions, like people... Like I hear people say stuff like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you're still single" or whatever. Like, but you know, it's not like yes. people will say, "Wow, I can't believe you're still married." Like, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, that's right. You actually got and married. Even, wow. Even when it's cloaked in a compliment like that, Josh. Like, yeah. even when it's like somebody going, "You're amazing." Like, you know, some of my best girlfriends, right? You're amazing. Can't believe you're still single. It's like, well, hang on. In the flip side of that. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you flip that over and it's kind of like a, uh, a backwards insult, even though it's a yeah. compliment yeah. because it's like amazing people can't be single because something must be wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you're so amazing, but is there actually something nope. secretly wrong with you that we don't know about? Yeah. What, still oh. nobody wants you? Come on now. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, man. Oh. And so when you hear that, you're like, I, I, you know, again... Uh, you understand the heart of where it's coming from. You're so amazing. Can't believe you're still single means something must be wrong. Mm. Mm. And then, and then I get imposed upon me or the single person gets imposed upon me again, another deficit identity. Mm. Yeah. So for you, something to fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For you though, was there, was there a point where you had to come to terms with, okay, I'm okay with being single. Were you always okay with being single or was there like a switch for you somewhere down the road? Well, there's never been a point at which I haven't wanted to be a part of a couple um, and have the same longings and desires as a, as a lot of other people. I can't say all other people because not everybody has those longings and desires, you know. Mm. Um, so there's never been a point. So it's less about kind of getting okay with being single and getting okay with the fact that I am single and I also want these things. Mm, so okay. it's not like if by getting okay with being single, it means I don't really give a toss now about all the other stuff. You know what I mean? It's not <laughs> yeah. about shunning the things that you want. I think the friendliest, most integrated way to do it is to go, I want this and I'm single and I'm okay. Mm. Um, and I think that that might be the the healthiest um yeah because you, you meet people and go i don't care and i'm just happy being single and blah blah, blah. i'm like okay mm. i i feel like actually you're putting things in boxes and you might not feel super integrated um yeah you know that's the counselor in me speaking but i think it's become more about making friends with both of those things yeah i think that's a really important point because you mentioned binary thinking before in talking mm. about you know same-sex attraction as well as you know singleness but then could you could you help define like compare and contrast like a binary thinking uh state versus an integrated state because i know what you mean when you're talking about an integrated person but some people may not 
Yeah, it's 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 the difference between th- I well the simplest way I can describe it is it's the difference between thinking it's this or this it's one or the other and thinking it's this and it's this it's both and um so the binary thinker would be like well i'm either happy being single or i want to be married you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and the integrated thinking would be like i am happy being single and i would really like to be married Mm -hmm. um and that both of those things are okay so for you it's it's not it's not that either i have to come to terms with being single or i'm gonna live my life in longing you know, for that thing that's that that's just out of reach. It's the, it's the it's the middle. It's the awkward, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes and no, um, sort of murky gray area rather than the black and white. No, I don't really believe in 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 coming to terms. I think I believe in constant constant awareness and surrender. Like, I think I'm less about arrival points which coming to terms might indicate and more about I'm just taking the step into this space today and what does it look like? I'm aware of how I feel. I'm aware that I feel like I would like this and I'm also aware of the fact that I'm in a very privileged position doing this. You know, um, I'm aware of the gift that singleness can be, although I don't feel called to singleness and I'm aware that I would love to be part of a couple that da 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 You know what I mean? Like it's not, and I'm not having to come to terms with it because it just is my reality. It just is. So I'm learning how to accept and be where I am and still want what I want without it hijacking every single day or every single moment or every single event. Mm. 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 Yeah, that sounds, I don't know. That sounds really good. Like it's like, it's, <laughs> it sounds like progress. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when I think about it and I think, man, it's, I think people always get caught in these, that rut that I guess you're talking about that what binary thinking um but yeah i guess it sounds i love how like easily you sort of fleshed it out that it can be i'm happy with what i want and i'm happy with where i am at the same time yeah because how often do we let our longings and desires for the future hijack the thing that we're actually living and i think that that's the thing that i've desired like that desire to eliminate like that's the thing that i'm kind of like yeah. And don't get me wrong. I think that there's, you know, I've obviously had some experiences. I've obviously been through a couple of breakups that, you know, I've experienced pain when it comes to my heart. You know, I've been in love before, you know, that statement that I made to my friend that said, I've never met anybody that I want to marry at that point in time, that was true, but it's, that's not actually true of my experience. There have, there has been someone I would have loved to have married, you know? So I've been through it, but it's kind of like this idea that, um, uh, hope, I guess, what it's come at a cost for me in the sense that hope feels a little bit violent. I prefer not to hope for things mm. because that feels like some kind of mysterious, you know, sticker chart, like some kind of reward. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. you do the thing <laughs> and you get the sticker. Um, and, and I don't, I haven't lived in a world that operates that way. And I don't think I live in a kingdom mentality with the Lord that, that tells me that I should operate that way. I mean, grace is indiscriminate, you know, so singleness is not a punishment, you know, like it's, it's, mm. and coupled people are not experiencing a reward that I don't deserve. Like it doesn't come as a result of some kind of faithfulness, favor, you know, all of this mm. stuff. 
but so many of our statements imply that it does. Mm, the right input um, will, will produce the right output. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, I'm not necessarily single because something is wrong with me. I'm single because so far the wisest choice has been not to be married. Mm. And I think that's a really hard choice to make because, to be honest, I have a lot of friends, a lot of peers at least, who I think were faced with that choice at one point in their relationship, whether they were dating somebody who they weren't 100% sure whether it was going to be the right decision and they just went ahead and, and got married anyway. They had their wedding day, they had their beautiful photos, they had their dance and their reception and then a couple of months later, sometimes a couple of years later, sometimes like over a decade or two later, like... It's funny because recently I, I've just become aware of so many people that I either went to uni with or, you know, I knew and they're breaking up. And it's not just like the same types of people. There are people that have been together for a few months and they've divorced or they've been together for a few years or they've been mm. together for over a decade or, or more. And it's like, like, it's hard to go, well, this is the reason or that's the reason you know, especially in this day and age where in the secular world, a lot of people are choosing to either remain single or to cohabitate or to just date and not get married because they're scared of marriage. We seem in the church world to be going, no, we're still going to get married young, but we're also going to break up because mm. we're going to make a bad decision where if we'd chosen to remain single or mm. to break up when we should have, which would have been healthy, we chose to stick it out and keep going and then make each other miserable. I just, oh, that's, it's a hard decision to make, but it's also mm. so devastating to see the consequences of not having to make that hard decision. Mm. Yeah, and it's made out of a place of scarcity. If I don't have this now, will I ever get the thing that I want? And maybe this is as good as it gets and maybe I'll never, you know what I mean? And it's living with yeah. this idea that there's not enough and it might run out, you know, but I... I don't know, like I sort of sit in the place, I have to remind myself sometimes when when singleness is hard that, hang on, well, you got here because you made really good choices and, and, and you probably, you shouldn't have married any of those people, you know. So it's kind of like a, it's a kind of a reminder that wisdom led you to singleness. How can you resent, how can you resent wisdom? Mm. Um. Mm. And, and let's like, let's be clear, like we're really kind of talking like this conversation has taken a little bit of a train of thought to be talking about people that are single and searching, people that are probably single and, and would prefer not to be because there are people that are single and independence is their choice and that's a positive mm -hmm. position of singleness. So, you know, when we were talking before um, right back at the beginning about interpretive repertoires, Mm -hmm. there are four interpretive repertoires the first one we talked about which is singleness as a personal deficit um which has strong negative cultural undertones the notion that you are unable to be in a relationship okay and that's focusing on who i am not rather than who i am so it's a what we call a you know a negative cultural undertone and then there's singleness as social exclusion which is the contrast between singleness and coupledom as two separate worlds and that again reveals the idea of like the other in inverted commas mm -hmm. um so there's this other there's this or there's this you're the other um and this reveals um 
a position that's constructed as privileged and one that's lacking. So there's someone that's advantaged and there's someone that's disadvantaged, right? That's another interpretive repertoire. It's another way of looking at and interpreting singleness. And then a third way is singleness is social exclusion. Um, nope, that was the second way. The third way is singleness as independence and choice. Um, a person that's happy with being single and that's all they ever wanted. And the fourth way is singleness as self-actualization and achievement. So it's kind of like this similar to the independence one, but they're kind of leaning into the associated freedom to choose without thinking of another position or not being seen as a deficit. Mm. It's kind of what an ambitious single person would be seen as. Mm. Yeah. Like I've won, I've won because I'm single and I've achieved what I wanted. Like no one's gotten in my way almost. And they're probably the people that are looking at all the, the, the couple of people going, you suckers. Like, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of like, yeah. I'm thinking of like, um, uh, the, the guy from how I met your mother. Um, Ted Mosby, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude is chronic. <laughs> he spends nine seasons looking for the one and then he doesn't even find her in the end. Oh no! I was yeah. thinking of his friend, um, the, oh, the one who's single. Yeah, Barney. Yeah, yeah, and he's just like he looks at all the married ones. He's like, "Wow, you guys are complete losers the whole time." It's like Ted versus Barney, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's this really, there's this really cool quote by Mae West that says, "I'm single because I was born that way." <laughs> yeah. can't argue with that yeah <laughs> like what's what's with the rest of you you know like yeah. i'm just like that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah. yeah um you you talked to before and you've 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 mentioned it a few times about the gift of being uh single like we've talked a lot about some of the misconceptions and some of the awkward annoying stuff but I'm thinking especially for that person out there who's not in a relationship um, and they're thinking about if I'm single for a while, what does it actually mean for, for me? Can you talk to that person about some of, I guess, yeah, what's, what is the gift in being single sort of thing? For the person that is really discouraged and sad about being single, this feels like cold comfort to talk about it. It actually won't even hit the spot. Um you know, I talk about the gift of being single and then I kind of go, yeah, but I sound a little Pollyanna, you know, like, um, but I guess in terms of being the person that is constantly attempting to just be integrated in my approach to my life and how this looks for me, um, there are things that I am able to do and be as a result of the fact that I am single. Um, and I choose to look at those things sometimes, but when you're feeling really lonely and really sad, or you've gone through a breakup and you wanted to marry the person, the person that hears me on the other end of this will be like, okay, that's so nice for you. I'm really glad that you said that token nice thing, you know, like it's not going to feel amazing. Like I think about it in my, and I can only talk about it in my own life. I'm, I'm a very, very present friend Mm. and I hope, and I hope that, you know, if you talk to any one of my closest friends, they would testify to that. Um, I really am able to show up um, mm. when I'm needed. I really am able to be high capacity in friendships, I think, as a result of my availability. 
um, I've been a very present auntie to to my friend's children um, because I'm available to be the auntie that does sleepovers and outings on the holidays and, you know, like all of those things mm. um, because I'm not tied to my, well, what I would really like for myself, which is my own family. Um, so I have to look at those things as a gift. Otherwise, I would resent them. And they're not something to resent because they're beautiful. They're not all of what I want, but they're something that actually contributes to somebody else's life in a positive way. And it feels like a gift to them. So on the days that it's not a gift to me, it's a gift to them. You know, mm. um, there's, there's just other things that I've been able to do in ministry and pastoral care um, at times when nobody else can, can leave their home. I can, I can be, I can be there. Um, and sometimes that again is called comfort and other times that just feels like the biggest honor in the world to show up at mm. somebody's bedtime, bedside in a crisis, you know, mm. um, there's travel that I've gotten to do. There's opportunities I've been able to say yes to without consulting anybody else, you know, <laughs> like there's, um, there's a certain freedom in how I choose to live my life. That is, is, is amazing, is liberating, mm. um, yeah, there's certain yeah. hobbies I've been able to lean into. Yeah, yeah. I there's never realized. I, I never realized before I got married how much the whole consulting with your partner thing actually makes a huge difference. Because, you know, I before that sounds stupid, but before I was married, I just kind of did what I wanted to do, and you know, that's that's sort of how I lived my life. After mm. I left my parents, I was like, okay, freedom. Here we go. And then when mm. I ex when I got married, I just thought, okay, this is going to be more freedom plus a partner, and that's going to be awesome. And then I realized <laughs> that's that's not how it works. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I recognize that. I recognize that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to There's sort of something cool about that. Oh, Karen absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, just to shift gears in the last sort of little bit of time we have. Um, I just was thinking about like, what, what do you think? Um, we, and we've talked a bit about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Discourse. Um, mm. But I'm just trying to be like a bit more practical, I guess, in, in like, what what are some other ways do you think we can, I guess, um, like, I guess helping single, the, the single friends among us, like make them feel like they fit in our community. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I hate even saying it like that because I'm like, it already makes it sound like they don't fit. But I'm yeah, they do. They yeah. How do you help consolidate how they already fit inside of our community? That's such um, a good way. You're an expert at this. This is great. All right. Yeah. <laughs> how do we how do we host a space where they 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 get more of a sense that they already belong? Yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is in our discourse. It's in our language. It's in the statements that we make, and it's in simple things like icebreakers, like that we found out. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a considered approach that. Hang on, I I maybe I maybe have the microphone or I may be the host of this room and I want to make sure nobody that's in it feels invisible. How mm. can I do that? You know what I mean? And so that's reflective practice. That's reflective practice for us as humanity to kind of go and then be willing to be the person that that leaves a room and goes, how did I do at hosting that space for people? Um, and be willing to like con constructively critique your own ability to let everybody have air and space um, and, and an ability to belong 
somewhere. I mean, you know what would have been helpful in a recent experience when I showed up at meetings where I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there? Mm. A, a really, a really meaningful thing would have been had we had a panel of people that had different experiences in relationship talk about their contribution to how we can do relationship better with each other. What if we actually embraced diversity, not just talked about it, but actually did <laughs> and not, and, and not, not just um, the very, very many multiplicity of styles of relationship that people are experiencing as couples, but the, the relationship, what about the, you know, what about our homosexual friends that are sitting in the room with us? What yeah. about the single people? What about talking about how single to married people relate or work with each other? You know, in our, in our case, like as clergy, we need to really talk about like those dynamics, women and men yeah. working together. Like we just need to be open to be asking other people what their experience is yeah. because that instantly honors the space between us. Yeah. The reason we're having this conversation is because I was brave enough to have a conversation with you guys and you guys weren't defensive about that. And you openly said, Oh, that's interesting. Let's continue the conversation. Mm. Mm. That's, that's really what people need is this posture of I'm listening. I'm listening. Tell me more. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's really what, you know, honestly, part of what we're doing here is what I hope that we can encourage more is you know we we don't have any um any sort of assumptions or you know precognitions of look at us guys we have this podcast so we know everything it's like no we actually there's so much that we don't know and there's so much we want to learn so let's get people on like you so that you can you can talk about this stuff that we have no idea about and so that we can just sit and, and soak it in and listen and learn and that's really for me personally what i just hope that we start to do more of in the church and mm. I don't know any other way to do it rather than just modeling it, you know? Yeah. And to be, to be constant learners, like you guys are talking about, okay, I have a hunger to find out more. Mm. Um, and I'm okay with admitting that I, I don't, I just don't know Yeah, because that, that hasn't been my experience. I mean, I can't sit here and I can't really talk about relational dynamics within marriage. I wouldn't presume to. Um, because that's not been my experience. So I would be interviewing you, <laughs> you know, right. but the point is, is that I would be willing because I want to know what it's like for you. And I think this is changing. I do think it is changing. I, I, it's hard. It is hard when you're, when you've, you're in this institution and you're in this culture, which prides itself on, we have all the answers. We have our 28 fundamentals. We have our Christian theology worked out. We have our theology of this, that, and the other thing worked out when, the reality is we actually don't have it all worked out and we're never going to have it all worked out. And at the rate at which the world is changing, it, that's just never going to be a reality. And so we're having yeah. to shift from this culture of this is our 1950s Christianity and you know this is where the pastor says this is what it is and this is what it is and everybody's all cool. Okay, this is what we all believe and this is what we all affirm to and and everybody's happy and everybody goes home and everybody believes the same thing. Well, that's not the world we live in anymore. And mm -hmm. I think the world, when they look at our 1950s Christianity that presumes to know everything and presumes to have an answer for everything, they just look at that and go, well, that's, that's rubbish. That's inauthentic. It's, it's, 
it's intolerant it's homophobic Mm. it's this it's that it's sexist it's you know all that sort of stuff and so here we are thinking we used to have all this stuff worked out we used to be secure where we were and now we're not anymore oh no what are we going to do and we double Mm. down or we do whatever and and we just Mm. dig ourselves a bigger hole I'm sorry, I'm ranting now, but yeah. <laughs> mm. But the yeah. best answer is often another question, you know, like the best response is just another question or just simply like, can you, can you tell me, can you tell me more? Um, the best start, like when it comes to the singleness stuff, the best start that we could give somebody is by not bowling up to them and asking them if they're still single. Like, <laughs> like, really <laughs> I, I, you know how would it be if i really did turn around and go well are you still married like, yeah yeah maybe you should um, maybe you should just do that maybe that should be your your standard response do you still have two kids i mean how offensive is it you know it, it's like it's like walking up to people and saying like do you have any kids yet like it's, it's really about mm. knowing that actually there's always a story behind a story and until you have a sense of what that might be, you might not want to knock on that door. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Man, it's it's funny that you bring up the kids thing because, like, I feel like when Danelle and I were dating, people were like, "When are you get ma- get married? When are you gonna get married?" And as soon as we're married, when are you gonna have kids? When are you gonna have kids? I'm like, man, why can't we just enjoy the seasons that mm. we're in? You know what I mean? All of mm. us, like, oh, mm. just embrace it. Let me embrace it. You embrace it. I don't know. Yeah, it's just. I feel like there's always this pressure to be moving forward in this. I don't know. And like moving forward's good, but I don't think like we already get enough pressure in our everyday to move forward. Mm. Like we don't mm. need it from the people like our close community in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. And and there is just like there are these normative narratives that people expect everybody to pass through. And in the case of singleness, like in a church context, it's what we call a heteronormative narrative, mm. is that everybody's heterose- heterosexual and they want to be coupled. Yeah. That's the narrative. And then there's this normative narrative about, well, once you're coupled, everybody's going to want to build a family. And then, you know, and it's kind of like this, this blanket narrative that we throw over everybody because that actually would make it easier for us because we'd all be able to understand and like each other better because we'd know what the other person is experiencing i don't know Mm. um i don't know what it is but i think that it's time for us to have a different discourse i think and i think i think that discourse in and of itself is a lie the 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 idea that if everybody is the same and everybody has the same values and everybody does the same things we'll all get along that that's not true and we know that it's not oh. true from history. <laughs> yeah. 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 And safe places to tell our stories, really. Um, because there's a story behind my singleness, but I don't share it with very many people because very few people have earned the right to hear it. Mm. Um, and that's okay with me. Mm. Let it be okay with you. Do you know what I mean? Like that's mm. the thing that you're trying to ask people is that, look, it's okay with me that I'm, that I have my story and this is where I'm at is, can it just be okay with you that it's okay with me? And I think what people, and, and I, I, feel, I know that we're wrapping up, but I, I think this needs to be said as well. I've learned that what people are indicating to me in the moments they have those conversations with me, those kind of abrupt, interesting conversations I shared with you about, you know, singleness is the reason people are battling with that is because they don't think that they would be okay if they were me. What they're indicating in that moment is way more about themselves 
and how they view the world, then it probably is about me um, because, you know, that's okay. You're still single. Is that person saying, ooh, I would not be okay if I were you? That's and amazing. the moment I can step back and not take it personally, I can, I can really hear their worldview and I can really hear their position on themselves. That's insane. And, yeah. yeah, wow. And that's, an, that's probably an empowering way for me to look at it because it really be, this conversation has become less about me and you finding out information that you're somehow now processing to see whether or not you would be okay in my position. And all that you're revealing to me is that you wouldn't be and that being coupled has been very dominant and very, very important to you. Mm. Mm. So yeah. people reveal a lot about themselves in the way that they they interact with you <laughs> like you know in terms of what they want to know about you is often a reflection on what they think about themselves i was just going to ask you in closing if there was anything else that you wish that we'd asked you or that you want to just leave us with wow um i don't know i think maybe just with the idea that if we could just sit open to open to growth and transformation open for our minds to be changed based on our experiences that we have with people open to uh, tell me more, you know, like mm. that invitation and that invitation can be so empowering and can be the, the moment that changes the discourse because we're only afraid of things that we don't understand. So if we can seek some understanding, we don't really fear them anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of the single person once I understand them. You know, I'm not going to be afraid of being single when I understand the experience of singleness, you know. Mm -hmm. It's um, – and just how how enriching diversity is. I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of sit in a position of not being bitter with where I've come from and the way that I used to think about things. Um, and this is very Richard Rohr as well. Like – not being bitter about the fact that at some point it was binary thinking because ultimately those questions led me to this place and it's so much more integrated and I'm so grateful for it. Um, so it's not turning on the person that's not there yet and going, if only you could be evolved and come up here with the rest of us. It's kind of about, well, I hope that your journey brings you to a place, you know, but not in a patronizing way in a, can I tell you my story kind of way. Um, and then for those people who are like me, who are living with the reality of what they have and what they don't have and the longings of what they want, it's, it's the moment where we choose to be a little bit vulnerable and share our stories. Um, because these are hard, these are hard conversations to have for somebody that is really battling with the idea that they don't want to be single. Um, they're easier conversations for the person to have when they're going, sure, I don't want to, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, like it's today it is tomorrow. It might not be, you know, just living with the reality of what life looks like. Kira Bullock. Thank you. <laughs> hey guys. Thank you. <laughs> um, if anybody wants some, some interesting listening around this, um, you know, Fuller theological mm. seminary. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, they've got, um, some resource on this it's called singleness theology spirituality and practice um that's in the fuller studio and and you can go and you can have a listen to the fuller studio and a whole bunch of talks around you know spirituality theology and singleness it's pretty cool cool um i probably will start to talk more about this as time goes on and 
soon I'll be launching my own podcast. Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I better not talk too big. Okay. It has a name though. It has a name, guys. Oh, tell us a name. You can plug it right here. And so when it comes, people will know to look for it. Okay. It is called Metaforming. Metaforming. Cool. Yeah. I was waiting for the round of applause, but whatever. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I think it's a cool name. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, Metaforming. So it's broken into three parts. Meta is thinking about thinking. Metaphor is making meaning out of our thinking. And forming, of course, is the ongoing transformation. And so it's about thinking about thinking, making meaning and ongoing growth and transformation. So it'll be conversations around that stuff. And yeah, this topic will come up inevitably. And there it is. That was our conversation with Kira. And man, I have to say, I I, I will apologize to everyone because I did get a little bit ranty in that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I think this is such, a, it's such an interesting topic because it crosses over into so many different realms. And you guys would have picked that up because I did diverge a little bit. But I... Yeah, I'm glad for the moments where I was able to just shut up and listen to, to Kira because... She's got so much good stuff to say. And honestly, as we talked about in the episode, I think we just need to do that a little bit more. Just shut up and listen sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And she's just so intentional with her words as well. So much to learn and very poetic with her words as well. I was just like, wow, how does she, how does she speak like this? It's amazing. So yeah, Mm. that was great. I, I loved that. And she draws on some of my favorite people, man. Brene Brown. Um, <laughs> Richard Raw. Richard Raw. Oh, amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, in- super inspiring. I-, I hope for you guys out there who are, um, are single, maybe you've been single for a while or maybe you're thinking about, you know, what do you want to do for your life in terms of your relationships and all that sort of stuff. I hope that gave you some grounding, a little bit more encouragement that... You know, just just because you are single doesn't mean it's the worst thing in the world, doesn't mean that God doesn't have something for you, that God doesn't want to use you. And we could have gotten into so much more there. I really wanted to get into the biological aspect. I really wanted to get into Pauline theology because Paul has a lot to say on this. But maybe uh, maybe uh, fodder for a, a conversation for another time. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? There's so many places you could go. And speaking of places you could go, for more things Burn the Haystack, go to burnthehaystack.org. I wish you could have seen Jesse's face just then for that uh, that segue because it was so good. You ruin the segue when you bring attention to the segue, but it was beautiful. <laughs> it was more your face. Your reaction was so good that I had to share it. Um, so, yeah, make sure you go and check us out. There's the blog. There's links to everything. Um, it's just all over. Fantastic. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Burn the Haystack on whatever podcasting app that you desire. We know that Google Podcasts has been a bit of a pain. Google Podcasts has it, it isn't technically available in Australia and New Zealand, though there we have cheated to try and get it, uh, our podcast onto Google Podcasts. But if you can't listen on, on Google Podcasts, there's always Spotify, there's always Apple, there's always Stitcher and Podbean and all those places where it will be guaranteed to come out every time. So if you haven't already, 
please subscribe. And if you have subscribed and would love to support the podcast a little bit more, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on wherever you can. Um, Apple is most helpful for us because, well, they're the big dogs in the in the game. So the if you can, dogs. please leave a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate that. Mm. And uh, we love you. That is Josh and Jesse out.